Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer after for years to come try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee plus get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare that's why united healthcare offers flexible budget-friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more learn more at uh1.com Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, parents. Welcome back. This is my first podcast for the new year. So happy new year. And um, I know that I release a uh, edition of the podcast every Monday, but I'm also a one woman show here. So I took some uh, self-care time and had holidays with my own children. So you did not hear from me for the last couple of weeks. And that means I also allowed my uh, sound technician, uh, Max, to have a holiday as well. We all need to have some downtime. I have got to walk the talk of mental health, and um, I haven't been able to get ahead of the game in terms of storing some extra podcasts in the can, so (laughs) Uh, hopefully I'll get a little bit more organized for 2023. There's my resolution. So I really want to thank the people that have sent in their questions then and have had to wait a little bit longer than usual to get their answers, but let's get going. Um, So the first one is, hi there, my 16-year-old daughter got caught smoking an e-cig in the bathroom. She's an A student. She said that she was peer pressured. We recently moved provinces, Ontario to Nova Scotia. Her dad and I have had some marital issues that we're trying to work on. What can I do? I'm so mad at her. We are a non-drug drinking home. We believe in family, working hard and doing well in school. Uh, She's meeting with a private counselor that I've used in Ontario to talk things out with her. What can I do so that this doesn't happen again? Uh, So, gosh, let me tell you, you've already done a great thing in getting her a a counselor. I think every kid during the pandemic, whether or not they're experimenting with e-cigarettes or um, other illegal substances, could benefit by having somebody to talk to outside the family that's a professional. So kudos to you. But I'm going to start by giving you some more um, more that you can do to piggyback on the help that she'll get from that counselor. And I have to quote my wonderful friend, Paul Rasmussen, uh, who's been a guest on the podcast. He has a great quote about expectations, parental expectations. He says, I hope I am quoting this as closely as possible to the way Paul would say it. But what he says to parents is, if you're expecting your child, your teenager, your 16-year-old daughter to be a perfect adult, 
you're going to be disappointed. But if you expect them to be a perfect teen, then you're going to hit the mark. And your 16-year-old daughter who was peer pressured into trying an e-cigarette was being a perfect teenager. I know that's hard for us as parents, but we have to understand developmentally that during adolescence, part of the process is that our children are becoming more autonomous and they are experimenting with choice making. And that means they're going to make bad choices or choices that we don't like or mistakes or choices that they wish that they hadn't made. And so a mistake was made here. And really, my information that I want to give to you is because it's not going to be the last mistake she's going to make. She's going to make more and maybe ones that scare you even more. But the likelihood of having a good outcome when kids come out the other end of adolescence is actually how we help them navigate and recover from mistakes. And they really, at this time, as they're experimenting and goofing up and trying on different choices for sizes, they really need to have our parental support. They, they can't go it alone. So they need you for guidance. They need you for how to recover from those mistakes. And so I understand that you got angry, and this was in the past, so that's already happened. But if we if we turn to anger... If that's the response that our kids get from us and they're making mistakes and they're getting into sticky situations in different parts of their life with school marks or or trying drugs or sexual activity or shoplifting or who knows what, going out past curfew, whatever they might get into. If we get angry, they're more likely to go underground. They're more likely to keep secrets. They're more likely to go to other people, meaning they're peers for advice, and they're not going to get good guidance from their fellow peers, not as good as adult guidance. And so we lose the ability to continue teaching, guiding, providing stewardship at the time when I think it's the most critical. In fact, if we really get angry, they might go against our guidance. They might actually say, well, you want me to be so uptight and this and that and perfect. I can never make you happy. I'm going to drop out of school and date the boys you hate or whatever. So we don't want them to end up retaliating and, and getting into revenge with us. We don't want them to suffer more isolation. They've already got these problems with you know trying drugs and boyfriends and who knows what else. And, and now they also are having a conflict with their parent. That just leads to, to more disconnection, more despair, more mental health issues. So we have to be on this ugly journey, this tumultuous journey with them. Well, they adult and it, it looks sloppy and it's not your perfect 16-year-old A student or, you know, happy toddler. It's it's a process and she'll come out the other end better if we can emotionally regulate and stay on that journey with them. So I think since this has already happened, you've already had the anger. I think, you know, we can also practice demonstrating and modeling what's it like to make a mistake for us. So I think, you know, you could go back and say to her, listen, I, I want to apologize for my anger. And I want you to understand that parental anger often comes from fear. It comes from concern. It's We feel like we're losing control. We're scared. And we think if we get angry about it, we're somehow going to make sure it never happens again. It, it, I get that it's misguided, but that's sort of what happened for me. And explain that there's a better way to move forward in the future, that you want to have the kind of trust and the kind of relationship where when she has troubles, when 
things happen that she needs support, that she can always come to you. And, and, and you know, you might want to put in the caveat that, you know, listen, I mean, I'm, I, I may be upset in the moment, but it really means just give me a moment for me to process it. Give me a moment to process it. It's the first time I've heard it. My brain hasn't been there before. You know, I'm new at parenting at this age and stage two. So, you know, I'll work with you if you'll work with me. And then just keep that bond that there's no problem so big that we can't get through it together. And so then get really curious, you know, tell me about the peer pressure. Tell me about, you know, how many people are e-sigging and, you know, how, what did it feel like? And is it something you want to continue to do? And is that part of your identity? And um, how do you see yourself in the future? Do you see yourself as a smoker? Do you see yourself as an addict? Just curiosity questions and, you know, thank you. Thank you for letting me get to know you. Thank you for letting me know what challenges you're up against. I want to help you with those challenges. So I hope that's helpful for you and that it's not coming too late. But I've had so many questions about teens during the pandemic, uh, you'll see I've got a little uh, workshop that I'm going to promote too. Since the beginning of the pandemic, I've really seen an increase in the amount of struggles that our teenagers are having in many areas of their lives, and that means I've had a lot more parents reaching out for support. So I am offering a Parenting Strategies for Teens and Tweens a webinar, which will be recorded. So if you can't attend it, you can get a copy of the recording and listen to it at your leisure. And so in this webinar, we're going to be talking about some of the developmental and psychological issues that happen in adolescence, about switching up our parenting styles. We're going to talk about some communication and problem-solving skills in order for us to address some either quiet or uh, powerful power struggles. Uh, really about working to keep the relationship harmonious, close, and intact during this difficult transition for families. Uh, we'll talk about reducing high-risk behaviors, navigating social media, gaming, technology, and of course anything else that you bring to uh, discuss during the Q&A and chat. So I uh, will include a registration link and more details in the show notes, and we'll see you soon. Next question here. Dear Allison, my three-and-a-half-year-old son is outgoing and a kind boy, but goes quiet when people offer him a cheery hello, say goodbye, or ask him simple questions. We try and model good social etiquette as much as possible, and as a family, talk about how it is kind to acknowledge another person by responding to them when they talk to us. He is chatty with us at home and with his grandparents, but struggles to answer questions or engage in small talk with teachers, friends, or neighbors. We're not too concerned about him making full conversation, but would love for him to start saying hello and goodbye. I'm also wondering what to do or say in those moments where he doesn't reply and there's an awkward silence. What would you recommend? So um, first, I want to just start by saying, how do children learn? How do they learn? You know, you said that you want to model good social etiquette. I'm sure you are. I am sure. I bet you social etiquette's really important to you. It's often interesting how kids will manifest symptomatology around our highest values. And I say that because when something's important to us, it means that we survey the environment more closely for breaches in that. So we watch more closely, we jump on it harsher, we get more intense about it. And in a sense, we train our kids what's important. And they can maybe feel some pressure around that or they can engage in some attention around that. So first I would say he knows 
He is watching everything you do. And so he knows that the, the right thing to do is to say hello when you meet someone. He knows how to say please and thank you. He sees it all the time. He does it at home. There's no more teaching per se. We, we often get this idea, well, they're only three and a half and they're not doing it. So I, ha- I must have to say it again and again. It's not lack of comprehension that is describing his choice of behavior. Instead, we look to the purposefulness of it, the four goals. And I would just say, like, it is not uncommon, especially for eldests and especially for only children, to be a little bit more socially hesitant with strangers and be kind of slow to warm to any new situations. And that has to do with them kind of wanting to, you know, land perfectly. It's a perfectionism, kind of do right, do good, don't make mistakes, make sure that it's going to be exactly the way you want it to be. So so newness, new people, new situations, there's just going to be a cautiousness there. And The problem with if we don't sort of allow for them to have that cautiousness time and we start to then pressure, say hello, say hello to the man. He said hello to you. Now we're starting to urge and that's so now we're getting a social response to their choice of behavior. And this is where we start getting into the dance or the or these these goals and misbehavior, this social response. Does the child secondarily you know, first start off being hesitant because they want to do right, do good. Is this person nice? Do I want to talk to this person? Do they expect me to keep talking? Um, As they're pausing and compiling themselves and building up their courage, if suddenly they realize, wow, suddenly I've hijacked the moment. I'm now the center of attention. Instead of talking about the weather, they're talking about me and my need to talk. So all eyes are on me. So it could be that they learn that that's a great way to, to hijack the show. Or it could also be that now in the effort to, like, make them say hello, make them talk to the neighbor, make them answer the question, that urging, they realize, my gosh, you know, I'm only three and a half and there's a lot of things that I don't know how to do in life and a lot of times where I don't command much power. But boy... If I resist, look at me. I've got the upper hand in this situation. Look at all these grown-ups who don't know how to get me to talk. Wow, am I ever powerful? Am I ever mighty? Many things I don't know how to do, but boy, I really have the upper hand in this di- in this moment. And again, of course, this is all pre-conscious. They don't know why they do what they do, but this is sort of ex- sharing with you the psychological dynamic so that from a point of knowing what's going on in the situation and the usefulness of the behavior, we can then pick our parenting strategies, right? And so I would say, first of all, let the moment go. You've done teaching them. They know. Let the moment go. Don't prompt or, or only prompt once if you feel that you just are really compelled to say, the man asked you how you're doing. Um, but I, I would let the moment go. And I I would just, um, they don't reply. You just keep talking. They miss the opportunity to be social. And if the waitress says, what would you like to order? And they don't say orange juice, then you just keep going. Uh, You know, and then it's like, wow, if, if I don't speak up, I don't get juice. I don't like that very much. And if you're feeling like you need to give some kind of adult response back to explain the parenting strategy that you're doing, I think having like a quick little line in your back pocket, something like, well, you know, we're still working on our hellos and goodbyes, you know, or we're just learning how to find our voice with new people, or I can tell by his eyes that he really likes that gift. Thank you very much. I might say something like that, but I don't want to fill in the words on behalf of my child. I might say that I'm thankful. That was a very kind thing for you to do for my child. Thank you. That thank you is coming from me. 
But I really want kids to learn that they need to find their voice and that I am not going to order their juice and I am not going to say their thank yous and I'm not going to be their substitute. They've got to find the courage within them or experience the consequence that, you know what, the the, the conversation keeps going. Uh, People don't bring you juice, like you miss out. And so there's a little bit of a social cost for not getting that courage. Not meant to be punitive, but to show them the value of wanting to dig deep and overcome that perfectionism, overcome that hesitancy and, and say, I'm going to I'm going to be bold. I'm going to speak to this new person because I want my juice. So I hope that is uh, I hope that is helpful. So I only just had the two questions today, um, but I want to just say something short on New Year's resolutions because a lot of people probably did that as a family. And that is to say, I think it's wonderful to sit down and maybe do a visioning board or to talk about family intentions or to talk about what kind of family we want to be in this year. But I think when we make New Year's resolutions as a family and then we just leave them be like a one and done, it's pretty unlikely that any of those changes are really going to stick. I mean, we have all kinds of research on the uh, likelihood that New Year's resolutions are going to flop within the first three weeks. And if we're really looking at positive change in the family, we probably need to take a different approach. So if you're listening, you're probably uh, interested in the Adlerian psychology and you've heard me talk about family meetings. And this is exactly why. Have that big beacon out there. Have that goalpost that you're aiming for for the end of the year. I think having those intentions and those ideals and those visions, but then we march towards them slowly. Slowly. And that's where I don't want us to see that if we just have a bad week or a bad day that we failed our resolutions. Instead, I want us to think about just the hard work of making us the family we want to be, creating the habits, the skills, the family culture, and knowing that we got to chip away at it, chip away at it, chip away at it, have good weeks and bad weeks, good days and bad days, moving slowly towards our goals. And that's what family meetings help us do. They keep us on track. They allow us to do a review. How are we doing? Is it working? Is it not working? Where do we need to put our energies next week? And not biting off more than you can chew. Change is slow, and often it takes a couple of iterations to find solutions to the things that are complicating family life or bringing disharmony in the family. And in those family meetings, it's really important. I can give you all the technicals, oh, once a week, and talking sticks, and chairman, and, you know, but more I want to talk about the tone. The tone of the family meeting is this egalitarian, inspirational leadership that parents bring to bring your team together, just like you would in the workplace. How do you inspire people to want to work towards making the family a place that they can be proud of and get their needs met? So sometimes we have to take off that parenting hat that's just filled with old ideas of old-style parenting and that we should be in control and that it's a top-down system and, you know, we don't think the kids are going to do it, so we're going to have to force them or, you know, motivate them with rewards or, you know, use our tone to make them feel scared if they didn't, um, disappointment, and we got to get away from all of that inspired leadership pulling the team together, inspiring people to have a, a better idea of what could be, what could be. Uh, so it really means that we've got to keep our attitudes super positive and they're, they're hard. Um, a lot of misbehavior comes out at family meetings. There's a lot of moaning. But just if we can remember that we set the tone and that tone needs to be respectful, having faith, guidance, leadership, equality, respect, 
So if you need to take a moment to self-regulate and do a little meditation before you sit down to chair the meeting where everyone moans and doesn't have answers or whatever, um, then do that. But they're hard, but they really are one of the most important tools that you will ever have in moving your family in the direction that you want and really landing the uh, intentions that you have for your family. So I hope that's helpful, and we will catch you next week. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast, so thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.